Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. With me today is Thurza Cuthand, who has an exhibition at AKA right now entitled Just Dandy. It's a two-person exhibition along with Andrew McPhail. And thank you for joining me, Thurza. Thanks for having me. We're talking just after the opening that was last night, and Mm -hmm. we'll be airing this a little later in the week but it's fresh, at least in my mind, which is nice. And so can you tell me just a little bit about how the show came together and sort of, yeah, what the journey up to this was like to start? Basically, Taryn uh, at AKA got in touch with me and was interested in doing a show. And she brought Andrew McPhail into it and we were talking about works we wanted to show. And all three of those videos were like made previously like homelands the one that's in the back room i made that in like i think 2000 and i started shooting in 2008 i forget when i exactly finished it and just dandy and um two-spirit introductory special those were kind of newer videos but i made just dandy at paved actually Oh, really? Yeah. As part of a residency there? or um, No, I just, uh, I, I had a membership and it was cheap to use the green screen there. So, yeah. That's great to see some production work coming locally out of that space and yeah. how it can be used. These videos themselves, take us through them a little bit in terms of some, some of the themes that they're covering off or some of what you were trying to communicate, like the two-spirit... Was it, sorry, Two-Spirit Special? No. Uh, Two-Spirit Introductory Special, special. 1999. (laughs) So take us through that to start there. So it's sort of campy, but uh, fun, and at the same time addressing some different issues with regards to queer sexuality. Yeah, it's it's basically a a spoof infomercial about uh, a support service, a telephone support service for Two-Spirit people who are just like new to the community and trying to find their way around and People always ask me, is, it, is that a real thing? And I'm like, no, it would be cute if it was, though. But um, part of it is because uh, the Two-Spirit community is so small. So part of my thinking around making that video was talking about capitalism and target markets and demographics and how small communities are not regarded with the same care that, like, say, you know, like advertising for straight white male <laughs> communities is. So, um so yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, just the fact that there probably is never going to be, you know, like a support network that could be financially viable for the two-spirit community. That's interesting. So part of it is that capitalist approach, that idea of bringing attention to a very small minority group, right? Or one that isn't as yeah, widely sought after by marketers. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about addressing issues for the two-spirit community, is there a difference then in the approach that you would advocate for as opposed to other like other approaches for queer or um, LGBT plus communities I guess you know there's there's cultural things that are different Um, the communities are different because there's uh, a lot of emphasis on family units and and uh, relations among First Nations people like um, just in terms of like like reserves or or groups of families and things like that so um, and and then there's just a bunch of issues about being two-spirit you know like some some people in the native community don't really feel very uh warm towards queer people and i think some of that's residential school related and then some are really cool so and then and then you know when when you're dealing uh with two-spirit people interacting with the larger more mainstream lgbtq community 
um, you know, like there's racism in that community. So there, there's all kinds of like things that, that go on. Yeah, I think it's interesting how the video problematizes some of those relationships. Like you say, when you're talking about the LGBT community, that idea of how within like two spirit is another approach that's brought in, but it's like, as you say, it's not, ad, it's not necessarily welcomed by all indigenous peoples, right? Or it, it's not necessarily, there's still spaces that aren't safe within indigenous communities for people who are two spirit. Mm-hmm, right? Yeah. And at the same time, the racism that can exist within an LGBTQ community. That's, that's interesting to sort of talk about how some of those places that sometimes are stated as being safe spaces maybe aren't. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. And I've heard, uh, my friend Alex Wilson has mentioned um, just on her Facebook that some of the, the suicide crises going on in First Nations communities, uh, there's a lot of people who who are victims of that who are LGBTQ, but it's just kind of kept quiet. Oh, really? Yeah. And there was, a lot, there was a lot of language in the video as well regarding, you know, sort of like on reservation or something like on, you know, some of those other issues that aren't necessarily like you say talked about in the mainstream. So... I think it's interesting how you're bringing in some of those discussions mm-hmm, yeah. as well. I would assume that in a smaller community like a reservation, that, that there can be a, if you're not finding a welcoming community, there can be a huge sense of isolation. Yeah. Is this then yourself speaking from like your personal experiences within like working with the community or talking to others that are experiencing some of these or is this? Um, I can't kind of talking to others more so because I'm, I'm like, I was raised in the city and so like my only times I've been on the reserves have usually been for funerals and maybe sometimes some social things but like I've never actually lived on the reserve Um, but but I have heard from from other people who have had some troubles but it's it's really it's really mixed like sometimes there are some really welcoming people on the reserve and it's just it depends you know well, and I, I heard that even in the video where you're talking, you know, like this may be something that you're experiencing. You may be in a welcoming situation and it yeah. really changes, right? And then the video beside that there, Just Dandy, can you take us through that video a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, that one's a really fun one. It's also it's also got a serious point, um, but it's about colonization. And um, this person uh, gets involved with this colonizing queen and kind of has this this uh, crazy lesbian sexy time with her and uh and then um as the queen is leaving she gives her uh dandelion which is you know like supposed to be this kind of token of love but it causes all kinds of trouble and it goes to seed and suddenly there's dandelions everywhere and it's this colonizing plant just like the queen and and it's taking over and it's driving this woman crazy and <laughs> reminding her of this terrible mistake she made where she slept with I guess the oppressor and um and but it's based on it's kind of based on tr- a true thing which is that um the dandelion's not native to North America it was actually brought over by a Dutch explorer as okay. like a, a cute little flower and it turned into a big weed and and now it is very much here forever so well because it's always it's that it, sometimes I, I hear it described as that sort of symbol of the diaspora right and so it, it itself came over like that it's mm-hmm. interesting yeah and how it's it's now yeah becoming such a a weed within these communities but we almost treat it like a like a plant that's been around that's interesting yeah yeah and then in terms of because you work often in narrative form in your videos right is mm-hmm. what's what's that what's the process of building those narratives like 
Is it coming from, like, again, from talking with others, or is it just sort of coming from a creative process of working through the different paths that video could take? Yeah, I, I kind of a mix of both. I don't know. Like, my ideas just come from, like, I'll be reading about something, and it'll spark off an idea, like, like even just, you know, reading about how the dandelions came to North America, that kind of, like, I knew about that for quite a while, and then, I, and then the story started to develop, and Oh, I know, but with just Dandy, the interesting thing about that is um, my my mom, like I've made some other videos with like queens and evil queens and stuff like that. Um, and so my mom kind of knew that I have this thing about evil queens and she found this Playmobil figure in a store somewhere. And that's where that, that queen comes from. So she gave me that and I was like, I got to do something with this. And so mixing that in the Dandelion story, that's kind of how that came to be. Well, that's funny. That's nice. And yeah, and so this one was filmed at Paved, you said? Yeah. Using Saskatoon actors then, or Saskatoon voices in the production? Yeah. Well, that's great. And have you done much filming here in Saskatoon, or has it been mostly on residencies elsewhere? Um, It's kind of been a mix of both. Um, I guess, I, like I lived here for nine years, so I did quite a few videos in that time where I shot in Saskatoon. Homelands was um, shot partly in Saskatoon, and that's that's a video in the back, mm-hmm. and also in um, Montana and Alberta and uh, Scotland. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's probably the most the most places that I've shot a video in. Um, but, yeah, a, lot, a lot's been shot in Saskatoon. Hmm. Well... And so, if you don't mind, uh, as we're talking about Homeland, take us through that video, a little, that one too, a little bit. And if you don't mind describing it for those who may not have seen it at the exhibition. Um, sure. It's a it's a forty five minute. I think it's forty five minutes. I keep forgetting this. Uh, but it's a it's a longer documentary, and um, it's kind of an experimental documentary. But it's it takes uh, interviews with my grandma and grandpa about um, their ancestors and my grandpa's Plains Cree. And my grandma is uh, Scottish, so uh, the first the first half of the video is about my grandpa's ancestors, and and um, I have a relative on his side who fought at uh, the Battle of Cutknife Hill, so he talks about that story, and he also tells the story of um, the first time Cree people ever saw white people, which is really interesting. He got it from another storyteller, um, and. And then we went to Scotland, and my grandma ta- told us about our family's history. And we went to the town where my great grandmother was from, and and we saw like the butcher shop where her dad worked, and the house she lived in, and the school she went to. And oh wow! Yeah, that's. And was this your first time seeing those places? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I'm actually going to go back in the fall. Oh really? To check it out again? Yeah, but I just want not to make a video, just to check it out. Because you, you went that time, obviously, with film or, I mean, with video recording equipment in hand as intentionally to record for this product yeah. project. Yeah. Okay. Actually, <laughs> it's like all handheld, the stuff in uh, Scotland. But we did bring a tripod and uh, I I kept putting it in my mom's bag because her bag was the only one it would fit in. And she, she, we never used it. My mom, like, she's still, you know, she'll shake her fist at me and be like, you made me carry that tripod all around Scotland and we never used it. Goodness, <laughs> it made the whole journey, but never got used. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, that's that's nice to be able to go on that type of trip with your family, though, and to learn some of those, and to be able to record that process of learning about your 
history or learning about some? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also did these uh, DNA cheek swabs, which I talk about in there, and, and the National Genographic Project. Um, like we we sent it to them, and they they kind of figured out the migration routes of both sides of my family. Um, yeah, so that was that was interesting. Um, and what else did we do in that video? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's mostly just talking about like family history and and now my my both my grandparents have passed on, so sure. it it uh, it I don't know. It's 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 more touching now. And also, I noticed last night my mom couldn't really be in that room very much because it's still too fresh for her. It's just too personal. Or? Yeah. Aww. That's that's sweet though to yeah. have that connection to be able to then share that with others. Yeah. And you were talking about your grandfather's a story that he told of the first time that the Cree, Cree people met white people? Yeah. Okay. And you said this was passed on to him? From, yeah. Okay. Yeah. For the viewers, would you mind recounting that story? Or is that like something you want to leave for him to sort of tell in the video? Um, I, I can tell it again. I won't, I won't do it justice the same way he did. But um, basically, uh, these Cree people were, um, I think they're on the shore of James Bay um, or Hudson Bay or something. And they saw what they thought were two ducks coming over the water. These, and it was like these sailboats. And um, these men came, came onto land and, you know, the Crees were hiding because like, what, what the hell's going on basically. Um, but these men, they built like a, a little kind of structure and then um, they were taking all these things from their ships and putting them in there. And then they went away. And so the Crees went in and like, we're looking at all this stuff and they had a shaking of the tent ceremony to ask the spirits what these things were so they're bringing things in the spirits would tell them and then they brought something in the spirits were like oh that's something to drink and uh and so then the medicine man came out of that ceremony he was kind of like acting really like really goofy and wrestling with the man and and um that's basically the first time any creep person had alcohol no kidding yeah that's interesting mm-hmm and to record some of this oral history too then in this video about your family history and sort of that combining and mm -hmm. taking that from there and then combining this with Andrew's work. I know this was largely, I'm sure, done by Taryn, but you, you had met Andrew before and had sort of worked together. Did you discuss the different works that were going in this exhibition or was this more done at the gallery level? It was more done at the gallery level, but we did kind of like talk with each other about how our work was going to look together and like we, we met for coffee near near my house in Toronto and okay. just talked about it a little bit well and it, the shirts that Andrew had available the sequin shirts of all different phrases that was sort of labels that someone could attach themselves in a positive or negative way yeah yeah it was it was interesting to compare that to then some of the videos discussing some of these different experiences or mm -hmm. different ways we enact identity I guess but Mm -hmm. So you've been obviously doing this for a little while now, video work, and yeah. you've been showing across Canada. There aren't all that many artists who come out of Saskatoon. We, we have a growing number, but I mean, it's still, you know, not terribly common to be able to show like, you know, at, at the level that you are. So I wonder if you might be able to talk a little bit about what that experience has been like coming from a smaller center and starting to, because you went to Emily Carr, right? Yeah. So, sort of chose to move away for school and start there, but... Yeah, it was like it was interesting because my career actually started when I was 16 and I was still living here. And um, I made this video, my first video called Lessons in Baby Dyke Theory, that um, was just about 
being a teenage lesbian looking for other lesbians in high school and how they were all kind of hiding, which they were. And then like later on, they like started coming up to me like being like, oh, hi, I'm queer too and blah, blah, blah. And I knew them before, but they just never said anything before. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I made that video and, and it was like a comedic little three minute short and uh, it got really popular on the festival circuit. So like I was getting calls from like the lesbian festival in Berlin and stuff. And, and uh, it was all very, it was all very exciting. Yeah, so that's kind of how it started. But um, yeah, so then I just kept making like really, really low budget work. And then every so often I get a grant, which might be big or small and that's, like I've made, I think, 19 videos now. So, Goodness. Yeah. It's getting to be a large number, but... Yeah. What's that play like making lower budget films? Is there is there a desire on your end to like make higher budget films? Or do you enjoy that sort of the lo-fi aesthetics that... I kind of I kind of like the lo-fi aesthetics like originally it was like a political decision to make uh, low budget work because I wanted to make work that seemed accessible that other people could be like oh I could make that too okay. like I know some people are like oh no I want I want you to know it's hard to make this but like when I was starting out I was like no I want I want other queer youth to like be able to make videos and and talk about their lives and and I think it it kind of did help it like I know a bunch of people who did go on to make videos um now though like i'm nearing like next year i'll be 40 so i i am trying to get into higher budget work and um, i'm actually working on a feature film called evil fire which got some telefilm development funding so well, that's great yeah so feature film that will then be screening in theaters hopefully throughout hopefully we'll i will see yeah. i don't know i just got to go to festivals first to like okay. find some interest so yeah huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Do the festival circuit and then see who who buys it from there to show. Yeah. That's, okay. Do you have like dates in mind for when this is coming out, or is it sort of no? In, it's still in production. Yeah, yeah. We're still working on the script, so okay. it's really like it's just we're just gonna have to see. I mean, sometimes they take a really long time to be finished. Like there's some films that take like ten years to get through the process. Well, because you're building it little by little sometimes in terms of the different pieces or in terms of the different. Um, processes involved right between shooting and then yeah yeah i just I, when i talk to even uh local filmmakers who are doing you know short films like five to 15 minutes sometimes it still takes a few years because there's so many pieces involved there mm-hmm. yeah yeah especially feature film making like well i think any filmmaking really like if you you know it's like you do the, like the development and then pre-production and then production and then post-production there's like different um funding sources you find for those and so it it takes a while. Yeah. Just moving back to something you said, talked about a little earlier, when you were starting out and interested in that sort of lo-fi, it was about in part building a community. And so mm-hmm. that's been then a focus of yours from the start has been building that queer sort of film, like the queer community around filmmaking and art in terms of it welcoming others to participate. Yeah. And, you know, the, the sad thing, actually, which is something I've been struggling with is like I originally made films that were like low budget and you know like not having to apply for funding meant I could I could be true to myself and true to my vision but um now and queer festivals really loved that stuff back then but now I've noticed the mainstream queer festivals are kind they want really slick production values they want Hollywood style films because they know that that's what the audience will be more amenable to and so this experimental uh 
kind of more dangerous, edgy queer work is getting pushed out in favor of this like really slick kind of Hollywood feel. And and it's just it's just really sad because queer festivals built their their uh, like the first work that came out of queer festivals was really experimental and now it's now it's Hollywood. Like there's one festival I won't name it, but I I submitted Two Spirit introductory special to it and they have shown me before, but they didn't pick that video and instead, well not instead, but. One of the films they showed for their opening night was Ghostbusters, so it's oh, like, so it's it's very weird, yeah, what's going on. No kidding, and so, because this was, like, the queer community, when you were starting, like, the queer film community would have been an alternative film community, like, just like one certainly outside the mainstream, I would assume. And, yeah. And open to, you know, experimental works, and to hear that it's becoming more regulated, that you wonder where there is where the space becomes then for those experimental films that are still necessary, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Like um, Gary Barrow's uh, Queer City Cinema down in Regina, he does a really good job at still showing the like edgy like stuff that that queer film festivals were known for in the early days, which is really admirable. And he he like like I don't think he gets great audiences, and I think part of it is funders want. They always want to know what, how, like how many people came, how many seats were like filled, and um, I think that does a disservice to experimental film and uh, more alternative film communities. Hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Especially when you're talking about these issues that are, are hard to talk about, or that you know a small group of people might. It might reach a large group, but it might be a small group that are represented by some of those issues, but they're issues that need to be talked about. And so if you start using the same metrics, like you were sort of going back to that capitalist idea, mm-hmm. you know, you know, if we're talking about reaching the largest buying audience, it's never going to probably be this audience. And yeah. So to use those kind of metrics seems strange in that case. But, mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. And you've moved to Toronto then. You said in August 2014 was sort of the move date. Yeah. And if you don't mind, what was sort of what facilitated that? Because you've lived in a few different places, but Toronto has become the space that you've decided to settle down in for now. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it started out, I wanted to go there for quite a while. And um, it started out, I got a really good excuse to go because I got into a master's program at Ryerson. Okay. So I went there and did my master's program and then I've just stayed there and I've gotten like some, I've gotten some really good stuff going on with my career there, which I think can't happen here because of the film tax credit being cut and things like that. Like the film industry here is very, really quiet now. So yeah, um, yeah there's, there's just more happening in Toronto. So it's been good for me. Um, I still like Saskatoon, but I just, I think career-wise, it's better in Toronto. Well, especially in that medium, there's just more artists working in that medium and more opportunities, I assume. Mm-hmm, yeah. And for funding, too, if there are tax credits in Ontario as opposed to Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, there's some good tax credits. There's actually, I, I like, I can't think of a film I could make that would actually be able to use this. But if you film in northern Ontario, you can get, like, half a million in tax credits. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's amazing. So, um yeah, I'll so, have to think of an excuse to do that someday, I guess. If you can find a, a situation where you need the northern Ontario landscape or something, then you'll yeah. be set. But no, and I assume there's also more festivals or more just showings of that type of 
like uh, more experimental films or alt- you know uh, indie films in Toronto than there would be here. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like there's Imaginative is really great. I go I go there every year. Um, Images is there. Um, I'm actually uh, on the programming team of a festival, uh, the Toronto Queer Film Festival, which is a smaller. Uh, independent queer festival that and we're like showing more more experimental works and works that the more mainstream inside out festivals kind of overlooking right now oh really yeah so so that's that's really interesting right now getting to yeah getting to show some of those works that are otherwise missed or Mm -hmm. well but you still do return to saskatoon fairly regularly i or often enough i guess to see family and others yeah and what's it like coming back then to in terms of talking with that do you get a chance to talk to others in that community or is it mostly coming doing shows seeing like your your circle and then moving out um most of the time it's yeah yeah i guess i've done a few shows here since then um i did something in prince albert a couple years in a row um at the man gallery yeah yeah i did a performance there and um i think showed some videos and um but mostly yeah i've been coming back to visit my family and see my sister who my sister's intellectually disabled so she can't use the phone so so it's like nice to come back and be able to just spend time with her no kidding yeah Yeah. that's the time that you get to spend with her then is is that that time yeah well and then this you're you're heading out now but yeah you got to be back for a week here and and to show some of the works for an extended period of time at at aka which is nice for people to be able to come down and see Mm -hmm. we were talking before you were also at the mendel a few years ago in a show there so you're getting it's nice for people around here to be able to see your work but if you know for some of these films that you're creating that aren't being screened are there opportunities to see them like online or is it mostly just at screenings that they get shown then? um like i think i've got about nine films online i have a vimeo channel and they're all there and maybe a couple reels which are supposed to be for jobs but they're really boring because they're just little (laughs) clips but um but yeah there's uh there's a number of films that are on my vimeo channel and also on like i've linked to them on my website which is just there's a cuthand.com so So people can find it see some more of your works there and, and hear more about it yeah so again, the exhibition is called Just Dandy, featuring Thurza Cuthand and Andrew McPhail, and it runs until April 27th at AKA. Three of your films are showing as part of this, along with some installation works by Andrew. And yeah, thank you again for coming on the program, Thurza. It's been good to talk. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Again, you've been listening to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon. A reminder that you can find us on social media or Unframed Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you'd like to listen again to this episode or any of our past episodes, you can find our podcasts at unframedradio.com or on iTunes. Thank you and have a good evening.